you can get to a point where uh, generative AI results in meaningful performance improvements. Prompt engineering might not be an essential skill, so we need to start thinking about what are those AI skills. But maybe that's the trick, because AI is going to take us back to the classics. If you think about learnability, adaptability, curiosity, creativity, coming back full circle, because it makes these skills that much more important. L&D cannot adopt AI in silo. Exactly that. How do we make sure that AI is a net benefit for, for ourselves, for organizations, the society, and so on? When I think about AI skills, I inevitably start thinking about that it has to be not just a technical skill, but it also has to be about the fluency and the joy of using AI. Bonjour, marketing for learning friendos. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm here to just share you a little snackety snack with regards to what you can expect with this fantastic interview I had with Egla Vinaskaita. She is one of the leading voices on AI in our industry right now, and she came and joined me and chatted all about well, generative AI, oddly enough, and what it's really doing to the world, what it might do to our industry, what skills we might need to consider developing as a consequence of this change in technology, and most importantly, whether it is going to be a friend to us or a foe. Heck, we even dig into the ethical conundrum of intellectual property, i.e. if you make something using ChatGPT, did you make it or did the bot? It's a fantastic conversation. It's not a subject area that I'm particularly well versed in. So I learned a lot just having a chat with Egla. She is such an interesting person and has spent countless hours researching the subject. So if it piques your interest, if you're intrigued by Gen AI and you want to understand a little bit more for, you know, what role it might play in L&D in the next couple of years, this is a very intriguing and fascinating listen. So prep up your ear rolls. This is a good one. Enjoy. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Marketing for Learning podcast. You've got Ash today, and I am joined by an extra special guest in the form of Egla Venaskaita. She is here today to talk about AI, L&D, and the wonderful world of generative AI, chatbots, ChatGPT. Um, Egla, thanks so much for joining me today. Hi, Ash. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. It's an area of curiosity for me um, and something I'm seeing just going outrageously loud on LinkedIn. So I'm really looking forward to digging into the subject with you. You're quite active on LinkedIn. So some of our listeners may have heard of you before, read some of your content. But for those that haven't, would you mind giving us a, just a little bit of an overview as to who you are, uh, what, what you're kind of up to, what your background is, just so we have some context. Yeah, sure. So I'm a learning strategist and advisor. I work with edtech uh, startups on building learning products, and I work with organizations on creating complex upskilling programs. So the theme is I advise on using technology in a de deliberate, meaningful way to support learning. And most recently, I've been looking into how L&D can best use AI and make, make use of it in a, in a meaningful way that actually has impact and it's not a gimmick. And uh, also how L&D itself can support the organization's adoption of AI. Sure. Okay. Yeah. And I think, you know, that that's 
the area for me that you just said there is how can it be meaningful, add value, not not just a gimmick. And I think we can chat a little bit more about that. I've tinkered with AI myself, um, but I don't know a huge amount about it either. So I expect this is going to be an educational lesson for us all. You know, the areas where we've used AI in marketing is, you know, things like automation, but that's not really AI in the same truest sense of the word. So anyone who's anyone in the world probably has realized that maybe in the past year, 18 months, there's just been this sudden insurgence of commentary around how we use Gen AI what it's going, what role it's going to play in our world, what role it's going to play in the corporate landscape, and then obviously more deeply how we could potentially use it in learning. It's a new subject area. So, you know, your background is obviously tech, so I can see the natural segue into that. But what what got you into, in, you know, what, what took you down the wormhole, I guess? <laughs> what started the spark for you? Yeah, so my interest uh, in AI started from, from the top down. If I think back to my conversations that... Uh, I was having with people a year ago, uh, they were very much about the potential harm uh, of AI. So if you think about questions such as, and prepare yourself because they're not L&D related, um, questions such as how it might affect the social contract between the employer and the employee, how it might affect our identity that we derive from work, and how uh, is that going to affect the signal that our work sends? Um, what about the perceived truth and its impacts on our democracy and our institutions? How, and this is going back to cl closer to home to skills, how it might affect the traditional paths to mastery uh, when pay junior level work gets automated by AI. So is it that we're pulling the ladder up behind us? And uh, just on a, on a very personal level, how it's gonna affect our relationships? with other people, all kinds of relationships, when we have a generation of people who grow up interacting with an obedient bot. So that that's where I started. It was a bit of a bit of a doom and gloom. And as I was pondering these questions, I I started wondering what my role might be in making sure that that, that doesn't happen. Um, because on the flip side, this technology has immense potential for good. Uh, it is about empowering people. It is about creativity, about scientific breakthroughs. But AI is not going to deliver that just by itself. It needs to be steered in that direction. So I started asking myself the question, how can I be part of this? And that naturally took me back to my wheelhouse of learning. And here I am. Yeah, it's quite the wormhole to go down, isn't it? I think it's um it's certainly something that I've started and gone, oh my God, I could, you know, you could just get absolutely lost in this. So I think for me is obviously all the the permutations of applications, you know, I think, you know, you certainly didn't just talk, touch on the corporate landscape there, you know, even to down to how it's going to affect us as people. You know, I mean, look how much the smartphones changed how we interact with our partners. And, you know, there's an ongoing joke that you're not a married couple with kids unless you're sat on your phones at the end of the day, ignoring each other. So, I, you know, I, I guess my, my kind of first blunt question for you is, do you think AI is going to be a good thing for us and for humans and, and more deeply for us as a learning function? Uh, well, that's a quite a question to get us started here. Um, <laughs> I think that uh, AI is going to be as good as we make it. It's neutral as technology and it has, there are very real threats that come with AI and mm -hmm. very real opportunity. So it really is, I think it's important to have these conversations that we are having, 
um, because it is up to us to steer it in the direction that we want to steer it in, both in the society as humans individually and um, and in, in L&D, in, in learning and supporting people, supporting ourselves and our organizations. So I think that would be, yeah, my answer. Yeah, no, I and I think, you know, I, I didn't want to put you on the spot, but I, I think the thing for me is like I have such limited experience of it and and I expect most of the people listening to this podcast will as well you know the 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 furthest I've gotten with it is you know tinkering a little bit on chat GPT I've used Jasper AI a little bit um to trial these things these, these are primarily more like copywriting AI tools um and obviously I have my own views about the role that they may or may not play in marketing um and I and I guess the limitation that I've found, for example, is I write in a very distinctive tone of voice. Um, and so in order to actually get a, a bot to, is that the right word? Should I say bot machine? <laughs> Let, let's call it a bot for now. Otherwise, we're going to start referring it to, referring to it as a person and that's going to be worse. Okay. And then Skynet's gone live and it's all gone terribly wrong, right? Um Anyone getting that is over 30, and thank you for enjoying my Terminator jokes. Um, so, you know, for me, the problem is these things in and of themselves, I've, I've used them more as like ideas or curation tools. For me, it's almost like a different type of search engine because to use it for copywriting, for example, I feel like I'd have to spend an immense amount of time actually training this tool up to learn how I speak, um, how I type, how I write, my my writing style. Um, and that that to me, maybe there is that investment of time to get it back, but on the on the face of it, it's not saving me much time at the moment if I was to use it for, say, a copywriting tool. Obviously, a lot of these tools, I think when we when we briefly had this conversation, just to kind of spitball ideas and things like that, I asked you a little bit more about, well, how does that work? And you were telling me a bit uh, more deeply about how that kind of training environment works and why things like ChatGPT can't actually do that right now. Would you mind explaining that a bit more? Because I found that absolutely fascinating. Most of the people, I bet, uh, who use ChatGPT use this uh, main ChatGPT interface where you log in, log into OpenAI, uh, you see your screen with your previous prompts, your history, and then this whole screen where you ask uh, ask it questions and, and prompt it. Uh, there is another option, which is to use the so-called playground, uh, where you can actually fine-tune your prompts. It is pay-per-use. So unlike ChatGPT, which has a free version or a plus version, where we pay something like $20, I think, and, and, and can use it for as much as you want within certain limitations, in Playgrounds, you, that's where you do your R&D. So what that exact, exact prompt might be, it might cost you uh, quite a bit of money uh, because it charges you per, per use, per, it, 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 it charges you per tokens used, uh, which relate to uh, how much content you're putting in and how much content is spitting out. And every time you are uh, restarting the process, uh, it charges you again. But if if it is about you trying to hone your tone of voice, the best place to do that is not in this free ChatGPT version, in this, in this chatbot, but in the playgrounds where you can actually add additional instructions and you can almost the high level, the top line of it is that you are creating this underground prompt for all of your forthcoming prompts. Yeah, I'm with you. 
yeah, so it, it is a, a true kind of investment in time and energy and cost um, in that instance of ChatGPT in that, that playground area in order to actually evolve ChatGPT's understanding of what it is you want it to do to allow it to more effectively execute on the subsequent prompts, right? Yeah, so, exactly. yeah, I, and I think that for me is is where it gets interesting because most people don't have the time to do that they don't have because ai so i guess what i'm trying to get ai is kind of pitched as this like fix all where i see that a lot on linkedin like it can you know it's all that it, it cuts the corners it, it it solves so many simple challenges and i'm going to ask you a little bit later about how applications you truly kind of see for lnd when it comes to ai and gen ai but most people don't have the ability to invest time and budget into that. So they're using it at that top level like I am, where they're going into the chat GPT or the open AI. They're playing with Claude and they're tinkering around. To my mind, I guess it's almost kind of you get in, you get out what you what you put in. Would you say that that's the case? Oh, that's absolutely the case. Yes. Yeah. And I think on top of that, we don't have the real skills yet to know how to do what you were suggesting in the playground, you know? So do, do we, you know, L&Ds are distinctly bereft of kind of future skills, in my opinion, um, you know, that comes up in Mind, Mind Tools recent report, the LPI capability map, um, skills like data analytics, marketing and communication come up time and time again. But surely this is also a, an emergent skill that at least needs to be considered um, as to whether it's something that will require if it's if it's something we want to start taking seriously in our function um yeah absolutely and there are a few questions here so the first question is uh when people talk about okay how do i scale myself how do i make sure that i don't have to do as much writing how do i teach the bot to write in my tone of voice um i the, the first question i like to ask is is that like, why is that what you really want because there is a degree of of creativity, a degree of like, there's something beyond just being productive in your work. So for example, if you manage to recreate your, your voice, your tone of voice for, for mass and yourself, uh, yeah. uh, with, uh, with, with generative AI, would it actually be a value add for you? Would it be, or, or let's say a net benefit for you because mm. perhaps writing in that voice, there is a degree of self-expression there is a degree of you actually writing your own stuff helps you think through that stuff and generates ideas and reflect it helps you reflect on things so there is this this whole area where you have we, where we have to ask which of the what we perceive menial tasks are actually quite useful we just don't appreciate them because they they enable us to do these higher level tasks the thinking that we do by by writing so yeah. I'll say that's that's the first question. And in terms of skills uh, and uh, what skills are going to be re required to actually take advantage of AI, um, if you think about it, the technology is obviously new and it seems very powerful. However, at the same time, it's quite rudimentary in a way. It's almost like using a terminal screen at the moment. Yeah. Um, so are we going to be using this uh, generic chatbot interface a few years from now, or are we going to have tools where that are AI enabled, but the AI is invisible in them? We are just using them just like we're using any other tool right now. Uh, for example, flight booking or 
whatever, we don't have to, we could prompt ChatGPT to help us plan a trip. However, we might get a really good interface from some existing, I don't know, trip advisor or whatever that actually help us do that without knowing how to prompt. And the same thing in, in work context as well. So I think that pure prompt engineering might have a limited shelf life outside of perhaps software engineering. Um, it, is, it, is, it is much like with any technology, understanding how it works and understanding the new ones is always useful to really understand like, okay, I see, I see how it's all coming together. I see how changing this, this prompt a little bit changes the output. So I can, I can, I feel more fluent in thinking about how I can best, best use it in my work. However, prompt engineering might not be an essential skill. So we need to start thinking about what are those AI skills? Um, for example, is it about spotting opportunities for process optimization with AI? Mm -hmm. Or are we going to have this whole field about problem solving with AI? Or is it about evaluating AI's output in my area of expertise? So we don't know that yet. And I personally don't yet have a strong point of view in terms of where we are going uh, and what skills have, um, uh, have longevity. But maybe that's the trick because AI is going to take us back to the classics. If you think about learnability, adaptability, curiosity, creativity, coming back full circle because it makes these skills that much more important. Yeah. Yeah. And I think to, to my mind, it's, it's more about understanding what's possible with the tech so that we know best how to leverage it right so like if i don't know how something works i don't know how i can use it so i don't i don't know whether i can use it for copywriting or like i saw a guy that had done this phenomenal he made, he basically designed a kids book using ai um and he said it just took him so long because he had to get the prompts exact for every single page and getting the characters the same on every single page that he created was absolutely you know, the amount of time you will have put in to design that would it have been better to use the creative capabilities of an illustrator and, you know, use his creative capabilities as a copywriter. So to my mind, it's, it's not necessarily about actually just replacing what we can do with a bot. It's actually, how can we allow it to supplement what we currently do or leverage it in ways that do enhance what we're already doing? So I think your point about the copywriting is, valid you know i think it's a human skill and it, it, having a bot right detracts from the the flair and the passion and the panache that writers have that i don't you know maybe and i'll stand corrected when i see it you know that's the beauty of the human word and humans don't think like robots so you know we we have a way of using words in a way that a machine might not so i think to my mind it's more about actually knowing what's possible so that we know where the best opportunities for us lie, both as an individual personally, but also professionally in our careers and in our functions, which kind of naturally segues me into that next question that I said I'd full circle back to. I keep my promises. Um, where do you, I mean, obviously you've been tinkering around with it a lot. You've done a huge amount of research, reading, and time investment in terms of under, more deeply understanding Gen AI so that we can have accessible conversations like this. It, to your mind, at least, I guess, so twofold question. In its present state, 
where do you see the most viable applications for Gen AI within an L&D context? And furthermore, where do you see it potentially going maybe in the next two to five years? You know, how will those applications change, if at all? So I feel like when we talk about AI and L&D, the conversation takes us pretty much in all directions. You have someone who is sharing this prompt that you can use yourself to create this superb question in your course. And then there's someone else talking about how about we plug in AI into our organizational knowledge to enable the true learning and the flow of work um, and then anything in between. And then there's skills intelligence and then we're going to know exactly what and when to and who, and who to upskill. These are conversations happening at very different levels and they are mm -hmm. all mixed up in this AI soup. So I think it's um, it's useful to categorize uh, because it's it's different people at different levels uh, using AI in these different things. So the the categorization that I find useful for myself, and I, I would actually be interested in 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 uh, either your feedback on it or whoever is listening, um, they can message me if they disagree. But uh, right now, the way I think about AI and L and D is um, so th there are five uh, four four levels. Uh, the first one is content production, which is probably what the conversation is mostly about, which is how about how we can uh, be more efficient in producing content, both text, video, audio, whatever it is, visual, and so on. Then the next level up is, let's call it uh, learning experience design. So this is more strategic. Uh, I know what I want to achieve. And then I prompt AI and it can help me with some ideas that can help me help me think. It's, it's a bit of a thinking partner, and we are partnering on this strategy together. Then the next level up, we go beyond generative AI, and we go into things like skills intelligence, which is which skills are needed by our organization. How do we enable that? How do we see what, what gaps we have, what we need to fill? Who do we need to upskill to fill those gaps and so on? So that this entire field of skills intelligence and, and uh, higher up, we have business intelligence, which is the holy grail of um, how we can plug into business needs and when it, business analytics uh, before we embark on, on upskilling so that we can be more targeted and more strategic. And as well as how we measure uh, this ROI as much as possible, because as we all know, it's been a sticky, sticky issue in L&D for, for a long time. Hmm. So th this is how I see this whole layering. So content production, learning experience, design, skills intelligence, business intelligence. At present, you can have really good performance improvements and content generation. It's still not ideal, but with enough effort and with enough fine-tuning, which you can do yourself, you don't need a developer to do it, you can get to a point where uh, generative AI results in meaningful performance improvements, and it may meaningfully change uh, your content production process. Uh, it may meaningfully change the skills that you want in your learning team, and so on. And then the second level, which is learning experience design as well, this is where it has a lot of it might have a lot of impact. It hasn't been used here that much, or at least not talked about, because it's less about output and it's more about the process. It's about me as a human, as a human conversing, ideating with AI to come up with uh, with a good idea. But the output is not 
necessarily created by AI, this program, this whatever. So this is, I think, where AI can play a big part right now. The other two uh, skills in business, uh, they go beyond generative AI and um, that, that's a bit more complex. And I don't think from what I've heard, we are not quite there yet. Mm. And I think the first two, we can remain quite siloed with our usage, right? So if we decide as a learning function that strategically we want to start exploring leveraging Gen AI to develop learning content or overall enhance the learning experience in whatever guise that takes, that can remain relatively siloed within the learning strategy and the learning function. But obviously the other two are pertain to the wider business and therefore I would expect relies on a much wider stakeholder engagement beyond the learning function, um, which obviously then becomes much more complex because adoption has to be across the organization rather than just in one function. So I would I would anticipate a smaller, slower <laughs> adoption rate. Yeah, but I would um, I would actually say that in terms of adoption, AI uh, LND cannot adopt AI in silo either. Uh, because it still involves using organizations' uh, data, organizations, perhaps IP, whatever. Organizations often don't have guidelines yet, don't have policies. Uh, there is no, you also need a deep understanding of what you're putting in and what is going to come out, meaning that it's not quite, even as a learning designer, uh, at a large organization, you're not. It's not quite up to you to decide to use AI. It needs to be a strategic decision that we, as an organization, we are using AI, and these are, this is our sandbox. These are the policies, and we are. We know that people are aware of them, and they know the new ones. Because the thing is that for AI to work, you necessarily it is it is a function of data. It is a function of information. So if you are using if you're doing anything that is company specific that potentially involves company specific information and that again gets us back to a strategic decision and so far as of september 2023 uh quite a lot of organizations are putting a pause on using uh, generative ai in learning for for that reason yeah i can see that being an incredibly large blocker to adoption. Um, you know, we're we're operating in a landscape where learning functions aren't even able to get business data to measure performance impact and correlate that to business bottom lines from a learning perspective. So somehow getting the organization to business-wide adopt Gen AI, I think we're a far stretch away from that. I think there's a smaller fish to fry rather than bigger fish to fry and and uh bigger problems. And and when you were chatting about um, some of the things that you were saying earlier, I had a thought that kind of came to my mind and you, you did kind of answer it with like the performance impact piece, but without, without running the risk of sounding completely obtuse and facetious about the whole thing, why on earth when there's so many barriers to access, when it's actually so difficult to get it to a place where it's of use to us at, in its present form, why would we use Gen AI? You know, to my mind, I'm struggling to see how the benefits outweigh the investment on from a time and budget perspective. Do you have a, a different position on why we should use it? You know, wh what it's going to do for us? Uh, well, I don't consider myself to be a champion of AI. 
I am mm. more of a person who thinks about exactly that. How do we make sure that AI is a net benefit for for ourselves, for organizations, the society, and so on? So I am, yeah, I'm pretty much that. That's that's my thinking as well. The thing is that AI is potentially so powerful. If and again, maybe not this month, although it is, it is pretty powerful right now. But three six months from now. It's getting increasingly powerful. And if you have the skills or if someone else has the skills and uh, creates some best practices, once you, once you have that community of, uh, of, of practice and, uh, and, and use cases and so on, um, that's when the benefits might start outweighing the risks. Because even, even, even if we think about the financials, for example, I still, I don't think that OpenAI has announced how much enterprise is going to cost, but it might be very, very expensive, um, as in hundreds of thousands. Um, and uh, when you think about it, yeah, it's, it's, it is expensive. But on the other hand, if you can get it to uh, optimize your workflows by 50%, 60%, 80%, I mean, if, if you look at some early research, obviously research, we cannot generalize too much, but some uh, discrete use cases, we're seeing quite dramatic performance improvements, literally to a degree where we might need half of the team to achieve the same result. So when you think about that cost benefit, there is a potential to get AI to a point where it's actually a net benefit obviously getting getting there it is it, it is a learning curve and everyone's on the same curve but again we have early adopters right now at some point perhaps half a year from now or a year from now we are going to have some really good good not just theoretical best practices or case studies we're going to have very specific operational strategies to use ai in an efficient way so you don't have to go through that learning curve right? Mm. So that might be the case. So it, it is a function of cost and benefit, but the benefit is perhaps increasing the more skilled we become in using AI. And it is uh, the cost is decreasing uh, just because the, the technology is advancing uh, so fast. And I think that that's it. And I guess, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're in the worlds of learning and that skill piece is what it really comes down to, isn't it? You know, like I said, knowing how, knowing how it works so that we know how best to use it, you know, it is this a skill that not only L and D should be looking at developing, but also should, should we be looking at this as a skill that we're starting to build within our employee base and within our learners, you know, should we be looking at how we can educate them on how best use to use AI? Is it a universal skill? Does everyone need to know how to use it? I don't know about, about everyone, but I do think that if we are right now, we're asking people, can you use uh, Microsoft Office um, or Zoom or whatever, uh, then AI is going to be that. It's d definitely, but if it's not already, I think for some professions, uh, it might be already that you need to know how to use AI to, to make your work more efficient. However, yeah, as I said before, I don't know exactly what level we're taught, what level of skills we're talking now. Is it about prompting or is, or is it about understanding these multiple order effects to think about how to incorporate AI in our work more broadly instead of how do we prompt to uh, create a summary of this meeting, for example? So, mm. 
that, that that sort of thing. But I also, when, when I think about AI skills, I inevitably start thinking about that it has to be not just a technical skill, but it also has to be about the fluency and the joy of using AI. Because if people treat it as, as a technical skill, as Microsoft Excel, aside from, okay, I hope nerds don't get offended because they, they do love Excel. I, I, I do love Excel. Oh, I love a pivot table. <laughs> exactly. Who doesn't love a pivot table? Um, probably the people who haven't tried it. <laughs> Just try a pivot table, guys. That's all we're saying. <laughs> You don't know what you're missing out on. But for a lot of people, if you just teach people prompting uh, and sort of give them a list of this is what we use for, for this process and this is what we use for that process, it is quite technical. It doesn't inspire imagination. And it is the imagination, the creativity, the building where the value uh, of AI lies. And this is where you can realize these net benefits that are higher than the costs. Yeah, so I think, I think that's that. And that takes us back to how we approach upskilling in AI. Because right now, what I'm seeing that there, there are a lot of prompt workshops, which is which is fine because people want to know what's going on. So this is, this is great. But when you think about deploying this AI upskilling in whatever form within organizations, I think you need to look at it as a traditional behavior change problem because it is not just the skills, it is changing people's mindsets it is changing people's habits, ways of working that they have used for sometimes years. So yeah, that, that that is a steep hill to climb and we need to look at it holistically. I mean, I didn't pay you to naturally segue into the fact that we're going to have to do marketing around this stuff. But, you know, again, all that, you want to change people's mindsets, regardless of what it, what the skill set is, you know, this learners, people, they're obstinate, you know, they're, they're quite fixed minded. And you know, we see with a lot of our clients that there's very much an attitude of it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of situation where, you know, I've been doing this for 15 years. Why do I need this AI locky? <laughs> you know, and and again, you know, we're doing a couple of change management projects with clients at the moment where we're, we're actually focusing kind of on this narrative um, because it's it's really important. And we're looking at how, you know, how do you position AI as something that's really useful? Is it an, is it an ally? Is it is it something, a comrade, you know, I think you said companion um, earlier, which I, I quite liked as well, because that's kind of how I use it at the moment. Like, I don't spend a huge amount of time in it, much less than I probably should to keep myself aware of it. But when I have used it, I use it as almost like a a brainstorming springboard or a friend that I can pound out some ideas with and say like, oh my God, does this make any sense? How do my ideas that are floating around in my head all kind of link together? You know, we talk about it in the masterclass, like use it for um, ideas and inspiration, but then add your own layer of creativity and ideas on top of that. So don't use, you know, the, the copy that it spits out. Don't use that verbatim. No one reads or talks like that, but use it as a starting point to give you some ideas to, and then you can add your embellishments and, and add the flair on top. It's a friend, not a foe, I think. And, and really, to my mind, I think when we first spoke, you used an analogy of a, a train, if it, if it, my mind recalls, and, you know, that train's already gone. <laughs> it's on the tracks. It's, you know, it's, it's going. We kind of got to hop on it or not, really, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think what you're touching on here is quite interesting because two things, I guess. One is that marketing and specifically communications is going to have to play a large part 
in my view, in terms of this organization-wide technology adoption, if and when it happens. So mm. there's definitely that aspect. And the other thing that you're talking about, the ideation, ideation part, the, the discovery of it all, I think this is quite an overlooked use case for AI because we talk a lot about uh, content generation, but we don't talk about these amazing use cases that help you understand what happens before that from the ideas of what we're, we're going to be doing here to, I was having a conversation with someone the other day and they talked about how, as we, as we all know in, in L&D, it's quite uh, difficult to get access to the, the end user, especially as a vendor, uh, to do discovery, to have, you know, use this whole design thinking or this pro product design methodology where you speak with people, you understand their problems, you test the solutions with them. And what AI can do, obviously, it's not the, the not plan A, but as plan B, you can have perhaps feed it whatever information you have and ask it to combine it with the information it has from from the internet and be your little persona. And mm. someone can talk to and can start almost having a conversation about what it is that we are creating here before you even get to the content generation phase. So, so definitely the use cases are um, across the entire process. And the more I think about it, the wider this, this whole spectrum becomes. Yeah, that's it. And, you know, I think we've talked a lot about prompting and we, we talk about it in a different context for marketing, but I think the same rule applies. So obviously when we, we do a lot of discovery with our clients and we talk to a lot of learners, most of that is qualitative discussions, but we do do surveys through, you know, quantitative research where we can employ engagement surveys. We'll do surveys to the wider business if we're able to. The key with any market research or research of any kind is asking the right questions to get the right answers. So, you know, if really that's, I guess, where the, the skill and prompting comes in is, is adding the correct information that pertains to what's relevant for the responses that you're going to get. Because, you know, from a persona perspective, if, you know, a lot of our clients before we work with them, they'd probably say, hey, you know, you've got Bojangles Bob here. He lives in the UK and he's been a manager for 10 years and he's got a team of X and, you know, he has these learning requirements because that tends to be the framework from most L&D start from a marketing perspective. But if you put that into Gen AI and say, what sort of comms should I create for them? It's going to create comms all around their learning needs, which we know doesn't work from a positioning perspective. So ultimately, it is it is about actually asking the right questions so that you make sure you're getting the right answers, right? Like good data in, good data out. <laughs> Otherwise, you know, the quality of what you get out is never going to be very good, is it? Yeah, and it it is an amazing skill. Asking good questions is something that is that is is a good core communication skill in general for us people in our conversations with with other people. But I think one thing that I've learned and I caught myself doing is that it's also about the habit of actually taking the time to ask these questions because sometimes I can get myself into a bit of a wormhole thinking about various idea solutions, whatnot, and then I remember how about it just yeah, I just share it with my little GPT friend here. And uh, we're going to actually have a conversation and it's going to be much more engaging than just me and my ideas. So it is having that thought process. Like that, that's, again, it's about changing the ways of working, changing the habit, just having the habit of you can actually, whatever noodle you have in your head, you can just 
give it to 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 GPT and start a conversation and just enhance this entire process for yourself. Yeah, and I think you know, for those that work in very small teams, you know, um, we had an individual come up to us at Learning Live who I know listens to the podcast. Your vans are coming, mate. They they are a team of one, and so working by themselves, trying to bake their noodle on complex learning challenges, marketing challenges, and communication challenges around learning development you know, the EVP, all of that stuff, having a a little friend that can at least that you can bounce some ideas off if nothing else and not feel like maybe you're just talking to the ether. Um, I don't think it's a bad thing, even if even if those ideas or things that ChatGPT says back. And and of course, our other Gen AIs, we're just using ChatGPT because it's probably the most accessible, isn't it? Um, But, you know, ultimately, I guess for me, it's it's not an, an absolute. It is just it's that conversation. It's that dialogue. It's another person in inverted commas to to talk to to kind of brainstorm and and pound out those ideas that you have and i think that can't be a bad thing yeah exactly and when when you think about our human interactions we don't expect that when we have a conversation with someone as a sounding board we don't expect uh or anticipate that we're gonna just take their ideas verbatim and implement it and that's gonna be the truth we yeah. do use them as as prompts for ourselves so it's the same thing with uh with uh, generative ai as well we just need to be discerning about what what we're getting out of it mm, i love that because yeah, i definitely have have thought thought that way i think actually where i'm kind of expecting very clear answers from it and and maybe that i've clearly been using it wrong uh, it's kind of like when i play golf and my brain thinks i'm gonna get a hole in one every time or like oh i'll swing it and it's gonna go exactly straight no that's not how it works. You know, it goes in every possible direction because what I think I'm going to get as an output versus what actually comes up is two very different things. I'm just conscious of time and I have one one kind of follow-up question for you, which I want to circle back to something we were chatting about earlier, which is around utilization and application of AI in an L&D context. So you remember you said those four applications and that hierarchical structure that you established we had content generation and learning experience design as those first two pillars. I mentioned the gent who made the book using Gen AI. What's There's an ethical gray area here um, around IP in particular that I'm kind of curious to dig in with you. To my mind, so if if you've prompted ChatGPT to make you, let's just go whole hog, it's made you an e-learning module on anti-money laundering. Have you made the module or has ChatGPT made the module? Um, yeah, it's a bit of a quagmire. <laughs> this one is yeah. <laughs> I, I foresee a lot of philosophical discussions in my future. Um, but that takes us back to the question of what makes any piece of content yours? Because mm. on one hand, you didn't write the content yourself. So is it yours? On the other hand, writing the content yourself as a signal of ownership might be so 2022. Like your son, <laughs> when he's listening this and for listening to this in, in 10 years, he might be just, he just may not understand what we're debating here. Yeah. Oh my God, mom, you used to like type on a keyboard to write stuff. Oh my God. I don't know yeah, why he's American. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. So, like, if you think about it, the output of AI is a direct result of your almost a direct result of your input. So if the input is a product of your imagination and ingenuity, does it make 
the content original and yours, so to say, because you birthed it into existence, essentially. So that's, that's, yeah, that's the second hand. And on the third hand, uh, because we have free now, you might say that AI output is drawn from our collective knowledge, so you can never own it or treat it as your own original work. However, even without AI, is any creative output truly original? Because if you're writing something, it's probably inspired by a specific style and tone you've learned somewhere else. And your original ideas is just a different configuration of the ideas that you've heard somewhere else. So yeah, it is a it is a bit of a a bit of a question, which I think goes to the heart of how we establish ownership, not legally, perhaps we, we need to get to legal to the legal bit later on, but what feels right to us as people, how we establish ownership of things and how that might change now that we are we may not soon may come a time where we are not doing everything by hand. So saying that has prompted me with a, a bit of a question around the impact that Gen AI could or may have on the learning and development profession. Do do you, to your mind, do you have a view or a perception around the impact that it will have on the learning profession? Is it going to do much? Is it going to drastically change things? Do you have an opinion? Um, yeah, so it very much depends, interestingly, on how we define the L&D profession and what's your individual value add in this field as an L&D professional. Because the way I see it, AI makes more urgent the conversations that we've been having in this industry for years now. So the mm. first one being, are we strategic business partners or are we content developers? Because if we are content developers, then yeah, AI is not going to be good news. But if we are business partners, then AI is a powerful tool in our arsenal. It can help us be more precise in identifying the problems that we need to tackle, in targeting and personalizing our solutions, and ultimately can help us be much faster in executing them. So there is that. Then the other thing, uh, if we think about how is it going to change our profession, is that AI highlights the value of true deep expertise because you need that true deep expertise to guide ai uh to actually extract value from it because if you think about uh say the learning design level you really need to know your stuff to be better than ai because as is right now ai can create a pretty decent draft of a learning program and you need to really need to know how people learn how people engage to be able to look at it and say that, you know, AI did not get this part quite right. Uh, or you need to know your organization's context to know which parts to take or leave, which part, parts are going to just fall flat and which ones are like, oh my God, this is a really great idea. I got, got some real value add from, from AI, from, from engaging with it uh, in this yeah. great process. So, and, and it's the same thing at the higher level, at the learning leadership level, because if you think about strategic thinking, about systems thinking, about having a vision and a point of view in terms of what you're trying to accomplish in your learning function, these are the things that put you in control of AI rather than at the mercy of it. So yeah, that, that's a way to think about it. And uh, one more philosophical point um, that I often think about, because apparently I do like those, um, <laughs> is that 
the stakes of upskilling are becoming or are soon going to become much higher. Because if you think about it, AI potentially enables really powerful skill and knowledge building. Um, the opportunity cost of not offering that to your employees and staying with the old way of doing that, of, of doing things, is really quite stark. Because if you if you imagine a not too distant future where two people at different organizations want to advance towards um, uh, a management position and employee A gets a video library with some videos on, on, on leadership and employee B gets AI enabled skills practice to coach their team, to give feedback to people. They get matched with, with a mentor, perhaps with some projects that they can, uh, they can start building these actual real skills on. And then AI offers some uh, perhaps feedback on their output, on their, on their own skills development. When these two people meet in the job market somewhere down the line, who is going to be better prepared? So, mm -hmm. There has always been a real cost to poor upskilling. And I think that with AI, that cost is going to get much higher. Yeah. I mean, I'll take learning experience too every day of the week for what it's worth. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, what you've just explained there is a beautiful example of a, a really ideal learning experience. And we know many, many employees just aren't, aren't getting that. Um, so again, you know, going back to what we were saying earlier, if it can be a compadre, if it can be a way of making life better for everybody, fantastic. To me, what you've just said is is like almost a twofold response. One is like a call to arms for us to be our best selves and upskill ourselves to make sure that we are able to recognize when AI is saying the right things and when it's not saying the right things and being having the professional curiosity to be able to challenge what the output is from Gen AI and not take it as gospel, not take it as an absolute truth, as we were alluding to earlier. But that subsequent piece is very much the trains already going. Other people are already going to start doing this if you're not going to at least consider how that's offered to your employees in a way, you know, maybe it's not about upskilling them on Gen AI, but it's actually leveraging it in a way that does supply more meaningful learning interactions at a point of need. And doesn't require so much cognitive energy on leadership, management, and L and D to serve that all out to the employee. So, you know, I, I can see how that has the ability to have a drastic impact on our business. So, thank you. Yeah. So, you did have a thought on it then. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, Egla, this has been just such an interesting conversation I could honestly just fire loads of random brain thoughts at you and you know I just think this is as you've already said it is a big subject and you know thank you so much for coming and giving us an hour of your time to condense down what I expect has been in a, a huge amount of reading consumption and research on your end I know the listeners today would have you know learned an absolute lot about AI gen AI chat GBT etc you talk a lot about this. Where can people find you if they want to learn more, if they want to have a conversation with you about Gen AI? Oh, definitely on LinkedIn. I'm not anywhere else. So Okay. Yeah, yeah me either. I will put your link to your profile in our show notes as well. LinkedIn's the place to be, isn't it? It's all happening what there. What are you doing if you're not on LinkedIn? Like, <laughs> you're not, I'm not on Twitter slash X. I, I don't know what's happened to that. Well, Egla Venoskaita. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for sharing your insights into Gen AI. And I'm really excited to see what comes from you and the technology in the, in the coming months and years. 
Yeah, thank you so much for asking good, deep questions. <laughs> That's right. Good data and good data. Enjoy the rest of your day, Agla. Thank you. Bye. Bye.